0: The scripture reading this morning is Luke 4, verses 1 through 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Press us into its mold and conform us to its ways. But God calls us to be holy, to be different. Being different means letting God transform every area of your life. Are you ready to be different? Today we're wrapping up our series called Be Different. It's such an important calling on our lives. As Paul writes in that scripture that was just on the screen, Romans 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Don't let the world press you into its mold. Don't think like the world thinks. Don't live like the world thinks. But be transformed, be different, be changed by the renewing of your mind. And that's something that God does in us and through us as we partner with God in renewing the way we think, renewing the way we see the world, the way we see him, the way we see ourselves. We are called to be different. And it's not a difference that says, I'm better than you, I'm better than people in the world. Not at all. It is a difference that says we are consecrated, we are set apart, not for any other purpose other than the purpose of God, the glory of God. We are called to be different. I hope that you have received this series and the passages that have spoken into this series with a receptive heart, that you will answer that call to be different, to be different as a a mother, a father, a friend, a a child, a a grandparent, a worker, whatever role you find yourself in, that you would be different for God's sake and for the advancement of the kingdom. If you have a Bible, you might turn to Luke chapter 4. That will be our text today. Luke chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. We've all been there. We've all been at a restaurant, maybe with family or friends, maybe with coworkers that were a little worried about their impression or our impression on them, or maybe even a, a date or a first date. You're a little nervous. Maybe you're at a restaurant you haven't ever been in before and the server comes and takes your drink orders for the table and then he or she goes away and you know that's when the clock starts. You have to order something. So you grab the menu and you're scanning the menu and all of these thoughts are flooding your brain. What do I want? Do I want this? Do I want that? What sounds good? How much does this cost? How many calories are in this? Should I get the salad? All of these thoughts are going through your brain. Does anyone else ever get order anxiety? You know what I'm talking about. They're going to come back, they're going to ask me what I want, and I'm going to have to give some kind of order. We, we order. we order like it's the last meal we're ever going to eat. We feel that pressure that, you know, i got to get this right. i got to get this right. And now with menus, there's so many choices. By the way, do you know what the world record is for the largest menu? And I don't mean like physical largest menu that would be kind of weird wouldn't it <laughs> giant menu no the most choices 1800 choices on this menu that's right it's a restaurant in Budapest Hungary some jokes write themselves right this restaurant is in Hungary, and it has the largest menu maybe you know what it's like to be faced with that question what do you want That's the question I want you to wrestle with this morning. And it has nothing to do with what you want for lunch today or the next time you go to a restaurant. It's a more profound question. What do you really want? What are you looking for? What are you searching for? What are your highest pursuits and the deepest longings of your heart? Where do you find meaning and purpose? What is it you really want? That's a pretty difficult question sometimes. Depends on the day. Depends on what's going on. Depends on what I've been through or what I'm about to go through, how I'd answer that question. But I think when we step back and we look at that question and we really examine our hearts, the longings of our hearts, <clears throat> I think many of us can relate to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7. Maybe you've heard this passage before. Romans 7, verse 15 I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, what I desire to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. You get the sense that Paul is saying there is this internal conflict, this war that is waging, raging inside of us, in our minds, in our hearts, battling these conflicting desires, these wants, and then how those play out in our lives. What do I really want? I don't know. I know what I should want, but sometimes if I'm honest, this is what I want. I want what the world offers. I want to be rich. I want to be well-known. I want to be comfortable. I want to feel secure, but I know I should want the things of God, and when I read scripture, and I see the kingdom of God revealed to me, these wants over here don't always align with what the kingdom of God is. So what do I want? I don't know. What I want, I don't always act on, I don't always do, and then what I do is not always what I want. I'm just confused. Maybe you understand. Maybe you can relate. Paul continues in that passage in Romans 7. So I find this law at work, Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In the deep recesses of my heart, I really do care and desire the things of God. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. I think many of us can relate Many of us know what that internal battle is all about. And so today as we conclude this series, Be Different, I really want to invite you to peel back some of the layers that are protecting your heart. Layers like insecurity and fear and managing this impression of yourself to the world around you. Peel some of those back to reveal what truly is the greatest desires of your heart. To be truly different is not just to do the right thing. It is to set your heart on the right thing. Because when you set your heart on the right thing, that informs then what you do and how you live. To have your heart's greatest desire, not the things of this world, but to, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things that we chase after and pursue and worry about, those things will be added to you, Jesus says. Of course, Jesus is our ultimate example when it comes to the question, what do you want? What is your greatest desire? Every time Jesus was asked that question, it was clear what the answer was. I want what God wants. I want to do what my heavenly Father wants me to do. I want to accomplish his will On this earth, I want what God wants. Jesus is our example. And one of the examples that we see is when Jesus was tempted. That passage is in Luke chapter 4. We read about what happens when Satan shows up to tempt Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. Right after his baptism before his official ministry begins, before he journeys to the cross, Jesus goes to the wilderness. He goes to the desert where he is confronted by the devil. I want you to notice how he got there. How did Jesus get to the wilderness? How did he get to the desert? Well, he I guess he walked, right? No, look at the text. How did he get there? He was led by the Spirit. Does God ever lead you into the wilderness? Does God ever guide you into the desert? Does God ever take you there? Now, we know Scripture says God does not tempt us. Temptation comes not from God, but from the evil one. But in your life, has there ever been a time, or maybe even right now, where God is ushering you into the wilderness? You say, well, why would God do that? Because it's in the wilderness where everything is stripped away. All of those things that we use to find meaning in our identity and our purpose and our value and our worth, all of those things are stripped away in the wilderness. And you get to see an exposed heart and what is really at the center of our hearts. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he is confronted with temptation. Satan showed up and he did what Satan does. Let's continue the story in verse 3. The devil said to him, to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you All their authority and splendor. It has all been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, and Satan quotes scripture, Ah, Jesus, you're going to quote scripture at me? I can do the same thing. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I read that to mean, Satan wasn't done. The devil wasn't finished with Jesus. We know he always comes back. Temptation is always there. But as you look at this experience, this encounter between Jesus and the devil, you see a few things. First of all, the nature of these temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, really go back and you can almost categorize each of those temptations in those areas. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the trifecta of lethal sins that humankind has struggled with since the garden. The devil was offering Jesus a shortcut, a shortcut to personal satisfaction. He was appealing to Jesus to act independently from God and God's plan. It's almost like the devil was saying, Jesus, I can give you an easier way to do what you came to do. And he starts with his immediate needs. You're hungry right now? Hey, we can fix that right now. Don't wait on God to feed you, to provide for you. Hey, you want influence in this world? You want power in this world? I can give it to you. You want to prove to the world that you are the son of God? Then let's do something big. Jump down and God will be forced to do something To save you, to send his angels. And everyone will see this. This will be spectacular. Everyone will see this and they will know that you're special. They will know that you're from God. Jesus, don't you want to take the shortcut? Don't you want to act independently from God? And of course, with every temptation, Jesus resisted. And as he resisted every temptation, I think he gives us the blueprint for doing the same. Consider Jesus' condition. Look back at verse 1. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit, but he was empty of physical substance because he ate nothing for 40 days. And then we have one of the most clear understatements in all of Scripture. He was hungry. (laughs) Of course he was hungry. Yes, he was divine. He participated in the identity of God as the Son of God, And yet he put on flesh. The incarnation. Jesus lived among us. He lived in the flesh. He got hungry. He got tired. He was hungry. Jesus denied himself a physical food. The very thing that we all know sustains life. He was weak. He was hungry. He was depleted. But he was being fed by God. And that's why with each temptation from the devil, what does Jesus say? How does he respond? He gives a response based and grounded in the word of God. It is written. It is written. You see, when you're pressured, when you're in the wilderness, when your heart is laid bare before the world, before God, when times are tough, what is inside of you comes out of you. And although Jesus physically was empty, he had not eaten for 40 days. Although he was physically empty, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was feeding on the word of God and the will of God. And when he was pushed in a corner, what came out of Jesus? The word of God, the will of God. He wasn't empty at all. And here we are living our lives to consume the things of the world going around accumulating all the things in this world that the world tries to convince us will make us happy will make us complete will make us feel fulfilled will make us feel good about ourselves because isn't that the goal of life to feel good about yourself and so we fill ourselves up and yet somehow we continue to hunger Somehow we continue to search. I like what the great philosopher R.J. the raccoon said in Over the Hedge. As he was trying to convince his animal buddies when they needed food that they should go over the hedge into the neighborhoods where the people live because people have an abundance of food. Here's what he said. They've always got food with them. We eat to live. Talking about animals. These guys... They live to eat. Think about that phrase, live to eat. Isn't that so true? And it's not just food, right? It's funny, have you ever thought about the language we use to describe how we live our lives? You know, companies produce must-have products, and they have big advertising budgets. And how do they refer to all of us? We are consumers. That's what we do, we consume. And sometimes we sit on the couch and we stare at a screen and we watch show after show after show from our favorite streaming service. And we call that something. What do we call that? Binge watching. And then in life, as we encounter people and situations and experiences, how do we assess or critique those things as to how satisfied we are? Do you understand how we live our lives? We are consumers who binge on the things of the world looking for satisfaction. And we just repeat the cycle over and over. This world provides a huge menu of endless options. And we sample a little bit of everything looking for what will truly satisfy us what will meet our greatest needs and hungers. Now look at that lifestyle. Look at that way of life and say, how does that align with the kingdom of God? How does that align with how Jesus lived? I really appreciate what John Tyson said in his book, Beautiful Resistance, that's informed this sermon and really this whole series. He said this, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. (laughs) It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. Isn't that interesting? He says it's not necessarily Satan and evil and wicked things that pull us away from God, although that certainly happens. For most of us, it's just this constant, steady diet consuming the things of the world. Sometimes, even good things. I mean, let's face it apple pie is a good thing. Sometimes, the things that this world produces and offers are not bad things, and yet we try to find satisfaction and fulfillment in them. And we center our entire life around the pursuit of those things. It comes back to that same question What do you want? Do you want to be successful? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be comfortable? Do you want to feel secure? Do you want to be in control? Do you want pleasure? Do you want to be well-fed, maybe literally well-fed? Or do you want the things of the kingdom? Faithfulness, mercy, truth, love, justice, What do you really want? As you are confronted each day with this endless array of options and choices, where do you land? What do you order? What are you hungry for? As I think about that question, I think that's where we get in trouble sometimes. Because that question, what do I want, often sends us into that endless loop, into that tangled web of, well, this is what I desire, but it's not what I do. It's what Paul described. I don't do what I really want to do. I don't perceive the things I really say are important to me. So maybe there's a different question. Maybe there's a better question. Rather than what do I want, maybe the question should be, what does God want? What does he really want? Jesus withstood those temptations and he began his ministry. And along the way, he encountered several different people. One of those people he encountered was a Samaritan woman. He was a Jewish rabbi, a man, talking to a Samaritan woman, crossing all kinds of social lines, political lines, religious lines. That's what Jesus did for the sake of the kingdom, to share the gospel, the good news about God. He's talking to the Samaritan woman, and he's using his context. He's using what he sees around him. In this case, it's a well, it's water, and he offers her living water. It fits so well with what we're talking about. Do you want water so that you never have to thirst again? Do you want to find fulfillment? Do you want to truly be satisfied? And we don't know much about this woman, but just from the few details in the text in John chapter 4, we know that she has had several relationships with men. And the implication is, well maybe she's searching for fulfillment and happiness and identity in those relationships and for whatever reason and we don't know why they don't last they aren't sustained and Jesus comes along and he says you really want to be satisfied then stop looking at these things stop going over here I can give it to you where you will never thirst again And the light bulb goes off and she realizes who he is, that he's genuine, that he's real, that that's a true offer. And she is so excited and she goes off to tell anyone who will listen that I found the source of living water. What we've all been looking for. Well, as you continue reading in the story, the disciples who were away, maybe they'd gone into town to get food. They come back, they see Jesus talking to this woman. They're a little surprised. But after she leaves, they say, hey, Jesus are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? We, you know, we just came back with some food. Are you hungry? And I want you to see Jesus' response. Look at what he says. John chapter 4, verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Jesus, are you hungry? Well, yeah, probably physically, he was hungry. But he said, you know what? That's that's not important let me tell you what really nourishes me let me me tell you what really sustains my life it's doing the will of my heavenly father that's my food that's what keeps me going that's what I crave that's what I hunger for that's my desire more than anything else in all the world I want to do the will of my heavenly father to finish the work he gave me to live for his praise and his purpose Let me ask you, what would it look like? What would your life look like if your greatest desire was to do the will of God? Imagine if your greatest source of life and nourishment was aligning your life with the will and the work of God in this world. How would your life be different? How would your family, your marriage, your relationships be different? How would the way you approach work, how would would the way you make decisions be different if you truly hungered for the things of God? What if the desires of God's heart were in fact the desires of your own heart? What would that look like? Jesus said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that Beatitude, Matthew 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled for what do you hunger what are you looking for what do you want do you want the things that god wants maybe it's time for some of us to reorder our longings to realign our true desires to reflect the heart of jesus how do we do that where do we start how do we change our appetite you know, if you've been eating something that tastes good for a long time and now all of a sudden you have to learn to like something different, it's not always easy, is it? Well, maybe we need to start where Jesus started. Back to that story in Luke chapter 4. Maybe we need to start with seeing what it's like to deny self. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, where he did what? Yes, he was tempted by the devil, but what was Jesus doing? He wasn't eating, he was fasting. He was denying himself. You say, well, why would he do that? Wouldn't he need his strength to face the devil? Wouldn't he need to be physically strong and mentally with it to be able to face those temptations? Yeah, if we're thinking in physical, human terms, probably. But Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus may have been empty of food, but he was full of the Holy Spirit. He did without, so God could do great things within him. You see, to be filled with the Spirit means first to be emptied of self. And maybe that's where we start. And that is probably not what you want to hear, because that's certainly not what I want to hear. Denying self is not something that is easy to do. You want to be different talking about being different. You want to be different? Deny yourself. Go down that path for a while. People don't understand it. People avoid it. Obviously, people don't like it. Well, what does that look like, self-denial? Well, maybe we start where Jesus started. One of the most biblical and practical paths of self-denial is simply fasting. And in scripture, we have so many examples of fasting. It's kind of funny if you think about it. Funny is not the right word. It's ironic to think about it. So many examples, especially in the New Testament, we hold up and we incorporate. They shape the way we do worship, the way we live our lives. We look at those examples and say, that's who we need to be. And yet there are many examples of fasting and somehow we haven't really grabbed onto that one. I wonder why not. Because no one likes to deny self. We need food. Who wants to do without food? So many examples in Scripture. Moses fasted before he received the Ten Commandments. Hannah did without food before she had Samuel, who changed the course of history for Israel and really for the world. Esther called on her people to fast as she approached the king to save the nation. Anna, the prophet, was present in the temple day and night, worshiping, praying, fasting. And God allowed her to see the Messiah. Luke chapter 2. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Jesus talked about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, when you fast. He says, when you fast, don't look so solemn so everybody will notice and think you're so holy and religious. He says, when you fast. Paul and Barnabas, before they choose elders in many of the churches, In Acts, what do they do? They pray and they fast. Every fast was an opportunity to deny self and seek God. But as I said, self-denial, that's that's an anti-value in our culture. That's That's a way to be truly different. Why would you deny yourself of something you want, of something you need? But fasting is something else. In many ways, it is an on ramp to realigning the desires of your heart. It's emptying yourself. It's making room for God to fill you up with the Spirit, I think. That's an oversimplification, but you get the gist of it. And there's nothing magical about the process of fasting, the physical process of fasting, but I think God shows up in those moments. He reveals himself and his will to us so often in those moments. In those moments, we are in the wilderness and our heart is laid bare and we get to examine what is truly at the center of our hearts, what we truly desire, what we really want. And so as we wrap up this sermon and wrap up this series, let me just invite you, let me just invite you, will you consider making a commitment to fast this week? Now, we as a congregation, we have called on the congregation to do collective fast before, before we select shepherds many times, before we enter into a a new chapter or a new phase or something big is coming up. So, So this isn't a collective fast in that sense. I'm not going to say, okay, on Tuesday from this time to that time. It's up to you. You set the parameters. You know your schedule. You know your situation, let me just invite you to consider the possibility of self-denial for a time. Maybe it's a day, maybe it's half a day, I don't know. Again, I'm not going to check up on you. I will be fasting some this week. I would just invite you to join me. And in that time, to really open up to God, to spend time in God's Word, to spend time in prayer, to truly seek the voice of the Lord. If you just go through the day without food and, and don't really take advantage of that time, if you don't really talk to God, if you don't really listen to God, what good has it done? And we're not talking about intermittent fasting for health reasons or diet reasons. And also, if obviously, if you have an eating disorder or health concerns, fasting may do more harm than good. So, so be wise, be wise. But let me just invite you to consider self-denial in this form. What if you denied yourself just for a time to focus on God? What might happen? What might God reveal to you? What might God unleash in your life? Is it possible that God could bring some things to the surface that you need to deal with? Is it possible that he could give you wisdom and discernment for a decision that you are facing? Is it possible that he through that process will bring you to a place of confession and you can open your heart to God confessing sin and struggle that he could redeem and forgive. Is it possible that he could do something big among us? Many times when you fast it's easier to do in community and so maybe the people under your roof you you talk to your kids or your family or roommate and y'all work it out together for mutual accountability and, and support maybe if you're in a part of a women's group or a men's group or in your bible class or some other group I would just encourage you to to find a way to to enter into it with a sense of being very deliberate and intentional this is this is how long it's going to last this is what it looks like and this is why I'm doing it and this is what I'm going to do during this past and just be open to see what God does Again, I, I don't have any parameters for you. Sometimes when we put those parameters in place, we become a little legalistic about it. It's, a, it's between you and God. It's between you and God. I just invite you. I invite you to consider practicing some self-denial, especially in a form of food fasting this week, if it fits for you. Because I think in those moments, we are reminded of what truly is at the center of our heart, what do you want as you look at life's menu with all the options what is it you really want what is your food is your food to do the will of your heavenly father or do you like so many live to eat do you live to eat what if you defied that statement That's not what my life is about. Yes, obviously, physical food is necessary for life, but that's not what my life's about. Yes, money is necessary for life. You have to have money to to do things, to buy things, to provide for your family, but that's not what life is about. What is your life about? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my heavenly Father. So what do you want? Let us encourage you. We would love to pray for you. Our shepherds are ready to walk with you. In just a moment, we're going to stand up. And if you would like for our shepherds and their wives to lift you up in prayer, there are, a couple of them will be in the parlor, a room right behind me in this hallway. You can go there. They will encourage you. They will pray for you. Take advantage of that resource. Or we'll pray for you down front as a church family. Maybe today you're ready to make that decision in front of family, friends, this church family declaring your faith that jesus is the son of god and that you want to be clothed with christ baptized into christ we would love to celebrate with you today if there's something we can do we invite you to come as we stand and sing Let's